back to the Holy Hardwood Podcast with Pat and Tony. Um, good evening, everybody. Um, thankful to be back here um, on the airwaves discussing your New Orleans Pelicans. Um, I know this time of the year, certainly the holiday season, right? Everybody should be um, spending lots of time with with friends and family and and being able to spend that time with loved ones and and truly being able to ex- experience the, you know, the reason for the season. But, um, you know, when speaking about the season, you know, Tony, we've often um, sat here and discussed and, and mentioned that, that truly the, the beginning of the NBA season feels like it starts on Christmas Day, um, usually a, a very strong slate of games um, displaying, um, you know, a little bit of a combo between up and coming teams and, and budding superstars, as well as those teams that, that have solidified themselves as um, either contenders this year or, or coming off, you know, defending a title such as the, the Denver Nuggets in last year. So I think um, today, um, especially this time of the year, heading into the new year is certainly a, a super um, beneficial time of the year to, to sit down and, and start judging yourself um, against those other teams across the league and, and truly um, getting a gauge for the landscape of the NBA. Um, I know being about 30 games in now, um, we certainly wanted to wait till, you know, we got to this time of the year to start making some, I guess you would call it, you know, overall assessments of the team and, and potentially discuss some of the direction that they're going in and, and potentially, you know, providing any feedback if we think that's conducive to, to ultimately getting this team to where they need to be by by the end of the year. Yeah, no doubt about it, Pat. Uh, like you said, Christmas break, always a good time to kind of sit back, relax, be with family and loved ones, uh, kind, kind of enjoy that time uh, while also, like you said, Christmas Day really kicks off the season in the NBA. Uh, yeah, there's been some exciting moments this year so far, especially with the introduction to the in-season tournament so I think that really went well and of course as most people know who are Pels fans they ended up uh, going to Vegas in that in-season tournament unfortunately taking a bad loss to the Lakers uh, in embarrassing fashion but uh, yeah just really excited to be getting back on here uh, to discuss these last like three or four games or so and kind of what I've seen and what we both may be uh, seeing from the team uh, so just from like that last game last week from Memphis uh, and then the Cavs game, another game against Memphis as well. Um, you know, I think it was a, a tale of two teams in a sense. Uh, the Memphis game, you kind of saw one team and some of the struggles that you saw down the stretch uh, in these three of the last four games where this team hasn't closed out in the last five minutes. I think there's been some questionable coaching errors uh, from Willie Green as well uh, that we'll dive into. But uh, I really think that <clears throat> from the Memphis game and then the Cleveland game, you kind of saw two different teams playing two different styles. And uh, we can kind of get into that right now. Yeah, absolutely. And um, good job there kind of teeing it up for the listeners to kind of give them a recap. Like you said, um, obviously in terms of big milestones, the team did have that opportunity to play Los Angeles um, in the in-season tournament. Um, obviously, you know, we're fully aware of kind of the outcome there and, and certainly the, the negative feedback and the criticism that the team, um, certainly garnered from performance such as that, but, um, you know, finding themselves coming out of that, that time of the year. And like you said, you know, we had a, we had a number of games, um, including that Cleveland game you were referring to. And then we had Memphis Houston, um, and then Memphis again, which certainly gave us a good look at this teams over that four game stretch to, to really see, you know, where this team is excelling at. Um, and maybe, you know, also identifying some areas of, of concern and some areas of, 
of potential improvements, whether that comes internally or externally as you look to improve this roster. Um, I, I think the biggest thing that, that I take away from this four game stretch as a whole, right, is um, when you speak to that Cleveland game, obviously down Zion dealing with some, um, some illness there, you, you saw the team shift and, and play a different, um, you know, style, especially on the offensive end of the floor. Um, a style that certainly seems to to resonate um, with the younger guys on this roster. It seems to be a, a style that fits a lot of the core pieces um, of this group. And, and not only that, it seems to mirror um, what exactly, you know, Coach James Borrego is looking for, um, especially as he came in to, to help give this offense a, a jump start and, and really start to modernize and, and hopefully revolutionize this group um, to help, you know, take them to the next level, you know, as this has been a team that, over the first two years really was built on being a, a pretty solid defensive unit as well as um, being a team that, that you knew always was going to compete, um, you know, regardless of who they were facing or, or which guys they might be missing. So um, in terms of that Cleveland game, uh, like you'd called out before, you, you saw this team playing at um, a lot faster pace. I think you actually called out the number um, in our previous episodes or discussions that, that it was stated that they were looking to shoot around 43s a game. Now, obviously, you know, there's a difference between shooting, um, you know, 40 good shot attempts and, and shooting 40 shots just because you're trying to get that that certain volume um, to, to hit that certain criteria that you're looking for. Um, but this Cleveland game, you saw that that they were getting those shots in rhythm. They were getting them within the flow of the offense. The ball was moving. It was certainly popping around the perimeter. Um, guys were doing a good job of, you know, putting pressure on Cleveland's de- defense, going ahead and, and getting them um, – you know, to have to step over and find some easy shots. And I think that from, from quarter one to quarter four in that game, although there was, you know, a little bit of slippage within a few moments um, in totality, that certainly was a, was a strong game for the group and certainly one that I think they could use as a blueprint, um, you know, moving forward in terms of what, what the, the offense really needs to look like on a night in night out basis. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. I think you and me both, uh, you know, agree on that point that the people that, are on this roster barring a few people it does stylistically move towards that advantage point you know we have a lot of athletic guys or wings uh shooters uh long uh defenders who you know in all reality they're wanting to play fast they're wanting to get up all these shots uh and then whenever you have someone like a zion uh in these other games where you're gonna have to Uh, slow the pace down a little bit, play more in the half court uh, and get probably, you know, 15 to 20 less shots a game. I think that's kind of what you've been seeing these last last few, at least is from game to game, quarter to quarter. You know, the style is just always changing. And I think that's been my biggest frustration uh, with the Pelicans team so far, because like you said, they reported on it, the you know, after this first Memphis game that they had, you know, probably about a week ago, uh, saying we watched the film, we think that our best offense is getting out and running, pace and space, getting up 43s, having our defense lead into the offense where you're not playing in the half court so much. And you saw that really, really benefit the Pelicans against the Cavs. Uh, Like you said, Zion was out and Cleveland was missing a few guys, but I think that offensive you know, style fits this team and fits most of these players uh, in that mold. And like I said, it's just the frustration of game to game. It looks so much different uh, when you're having to play in the half court and at a slower pace. And 
I don't know. That's just been my biggest frustration so far this season is just the, the constant back and forth with it. When you know one thing might look a certain way and that's how they should play, but then they play a totally different way game in and game out. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a fair point and one that I would I would imagine is probably um, you know, pretty consistent among, you know, the the fan base that is watching on a night out night in basis. I think the biggest thing there and, and maybe the driving force behind that is, you know, as I sit here and listen to you kind of describe what you're experiencing and what you're viewing, it, it seems like it's a team with with really with without a rudder or without an identity right now as an offensive group. Um, and I think there's a lot of a lot of different, you know, pathways that ultimately are getting us to that result where there is a a sense of, um, you know, or lack of confidence, I would say, you know, in terms of what is the best way to play and, and what fits the most guys. And I think, I think there's two different approaches that you can you can look there, right? I think one is going to be your roster construction. Um, you know, what are the strengths and weaknesses of your your couple three four key players? Because obviously, um, you know, just like anything else, right? You're you're going to really want to steer the team's direction to to benefit and maximize what you can get out of those higher end guys, such as a Brandon Zion or CJ or even JV on a on a night in night out basis. Um, and then the second thing is is what is your coaching staff, you know, really hammering home and, and game planning and, and what is, what is their vision for this group? Um, I think teams that you see that, that are most successful, they're able to marry the two um, and it's, and it doesn't feel forced. Right. I think there's certainly times where maybe a coach has a certain um, approach or, or something that they certainly see would be the best fit for this group, but, but maybe the, the roster that he has to, to ultimately um, utilize, um, you know, throughout the season certainly doesn't match, but ultimately you see them having to to come together and do that, which I think can, it can be successful, but I don't think that you can win at the highest level without those true, true truly naturally and just um, organically coming together where, where the two things pair, um, you know, with one another. Um, you know, as you talk about these, these last three games, right, this home stretch that they played against, like we said, you know, they had Memphis twice, um, and as especially a, a aggressive and, and hungry Houston team coming in, um, you know, those are games that you would expect, you know, you would expect a, a team of this caliber with this much talent to, to potentially, you know, go three and oh, but, but, but nothing worse than two and one, right. They, they, they needed to do a good job of protecting home court. Um, they certainly have all of the assets, um, in place to, to be able to win two out of those three games, especially on the home floor, you know, as many times as we've talked about it, it's, it's critical if you want to be a contender in this team and lock yourself into a playoff spot, um, you've got to take care of home court and win a majority of those games. Um, so obviously there's a little bit of disappointment there in terms of um, some of the guys' performances and, and what we saw on the floor, which obviously we'll, we'll dive into and, and get a little bit deeper there. But I think for me, the biggest thing that that I'm concerned about after seeing those three games is, it seems like there is a disconnect between what head coach Willie Green and, you know, um, this group as a whole is really trying to accomplish on a possession by possession basis, as well as a couple situations that, that kind of reared their ugly head, um, whether you want to call it, um, you know, growing pains or, or Willie being a younger coach is just kind of learning as he goes and, and, you know, hopefully maturing from these situations. But I think it's, it's pretty evident that, that we're starting to see a couple um, trends in terms of maybe some decisions he makes or, or things he feels more comfortable with. So um, to me, I, I think that that at the current moment, that's the bigger concern. I think, um, you know, and obviously I, I, I'd like to at least 
you know, at least mention, I feel like us too, as, as a whole, as we do this right, and based on our background and understanding how difficult it is to, to not only coach at any level, but to coach, especially at the NBA level, when you have so many, um, you know, outside things that can impact a, a team, a, a locker room, an organization, um, it, it's very hard to, to be a, a professional coach at this level, right? And so we certainly always want to give, um, whether it's the, the Pelicans coach and Willie Green or, or any other coach in the league, the, the benefit of the doubt and, and give them a, a long enough runway to truly see everything kind of unfold and, and give things time to mature and, and, and you know, everything be, be mended together to, to, to really show the vision that that coach certainly has for the team. So for me, the things that I'm seeing on a night in night out basis from Willie outside of just some of the, the time management issues, the um, lack of creativity in, you know, sideline out of bounds situation, baseline out of bounds situations, end of games, right. Is it appears to me that, that he is very, very adamant about always having a strong number of defenders out on the floor, which um, certainly is advantageous, right? You need to have people that can guard and, and help you get stops out of the other end. But especially, you know, in today's league where you have so many skilled offensive players and, and guys that, that really dictate how games are going to be played, you know, I think the biggest and most important thing that you can do as a head coach is is find ways to to get your stars space and to allow them to operate in spaces of the floor um, that they are the most successful. And, and currently, I think that's my biggest concern that he has a tendency. And I think, uh, you know, and we've talked about this in detail, I think based off of Willie's past and who he was as a player, um, especially, you know, based on his experiences as an assistant coach under guys like Steve Kerr and Monty Williams, who, um, although at times get credit for their offensive mind. I think it's safe to say that both those guys really hang their hat on the defensive end of the floor. So with those two things in conjunction, I, I think you're just seeing a guy in Willie Green that, um, you know, at times of discomfort or um, times where he starts to question himself, I think it's second nature for him to go to those guys that, that ultimately are defensive oriented guys. And, um, you know, unfortunately, especially when looking at this roster, um, you know, guys like Najee, Dyson, Herb, even Jose, right? Um, those guys are are very limited on the offensive end of the floor, especially when looking at their perimeter shooting, and and having those issues on the perimeter um, with those guys getting as many minutes. You're seeing that the Zion, CJ, and Brandon collectively um, just are not getting the adequate amount of space, and I think that that's something as you continue to go through the season. I think is only going to get harder rather than you know getting easier or, or becoming a a more simpler solution to ultimately um, you know, figure out, um, you saw it in these games, right? Things would look very, very good in, in the first, second, even a couple of the third quarters there where, um, the Pelicans would go on a run. They would find a unit that was clicking. Most of those were offensive centric groups with shooting. Um, and I believe they found themselves up at least, probably 15 points in each of those games. And, and to see them come out and, and go, zero and three in games that they had 15 point leads is, is very concerning. And I think that kind of, that drives you to the conclusion that that something is not something is not clicking with this coaching staff when they are put in those situations. Um, to me, and, and keep me honest here, and, and I'd love to open up the floor and, and give you a chance to speak on this, but it, it, to me, it seems like Willie in those times when he's trying to to keep a fifteen point lead, he finds himself in there. 
you really see him start to get defensive as a coach. Um, no pun intended, right? As he usually will deploy a, a group of defensive oriented players, but he's, he's finding himself in a situation where he's trying not to lose said ball game rather than continuing to be aggressive or go to the things that have given the opponent trouble, usually um, having to do with offensive centric guys and, and shooting on the floor. Um, you know, he, he doesn't seem to be the aggressor at that point. You know, we're not seeing him take a game where they're 15 points up and continuing to, to go to those things that are being effective and pushing those games out to 20 and 25. You're seeing him get very defensive, slow the pace, almost take the air out of the ball and try to hold on for these wins. And I think that just that in itself is, is very difficult to do, especially, um, you know, in today's game when, when offenses have more firepower, um, more offensive oriented players on the floor it's just it's very difficult to just completely shut off um, another team's um, offense so I think that those two things in conjunction with one another um, are a big majority of the reason why I find this team certainly struggling um, in these games that they find themselves up you know double digits nearing 15 points a game yeah Pat from my perspective you know that's kind of how I see it as well uh you know, it's it's frustrating, you know, as fans who want to see this team succeed where you know they have so much talent. And it's not the fact that it would be different if, you know, they were coming into these games and maybe they're not playing really good against some of these teams and they're just getting beat on a night-in and night-out basis. I mean, roster-wise, skill-wise, like position-wise, talent-wise – they're, you know, good enough across the board to beat any team in the league, go far in the playoffs, I truly believe. Uh, and it's just it's just like three and a half quarters where you can get those 15, 20-point leads. They haven't found a way yet to kind of hold on to those victories. Uh, we kind of all know the stats. I believe they're 5-9 and nine or 5-10 and 10 after getting up, you know, 10 or more points in the second half. And, you know, that's just not going to be a good recipe in the NBA. Uh you know, to succeed a season long, um, you know, run for this team, uh, you know, in crunch time, I believe they're Owen five when losing by three or less. I mean, that, that comes down to a little bit of coaching, a little bit of the players not making some shots at the end, but I think that goes hand in hand with what you were saying about Willie green. Uh, when it gets to that crunch time, that last five minutes, he does play a little defensive and, might put in a group that he feels, oh, well, instead of hammering home this offense, let's try to get a couple more defenders in, which throws off all of our space out there and doesn't give enough room for your Zions, your Brandons, your CJs to operate just because there's too much clutter. Because one, the, the defense isn't going to, you know, stay honest with a Herb Jones sitting out there shooting shots. Zion's already going to be in the middle. And if you have Jonas Valanciunas in there as well, there's not much of that middle of the floor area where I think, you know, you should be able to, you know, create all your offense from there. Yeah, very well said. And I, I think the, you know, one thing to keep in mind, like you mentioned is, you know, night in, night out, this is a, this is a team that is, usually coming into these games as a favorite they usually on paper have more talent um so certainly um in terms of that it, it doesn't lend itself to be a situation where you feel like you you don't need to be playing aggressive right that 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 is to your benefit and that is your strength is that you more than likely have more firepower than than the opponent that you're you're currently um you know playing against and i think that goes back to that comment that that i made about you know playing to lose versus 
um, you know, playing to win. You know, I, I'll have to give a shout out to one of my basketball, um, not only mentors, but but coaches, Greg Overstreet. I, I remember there was a time um, when I was early into the, you know, I guess you'd call it my coaching career. And he gave me the opportunity to to sit in with him and and um, coach one of his groups for the year. And I, I can vividly remember um, playing against a team that that on paper would have, um, you know, some of those things that you were mentioning you know, more, more talent, more size, more athleticism. And, and even we found ourselves being up, you know, um, 10, 15 points. And he had asked me, you know, is it, what, what would you do in the situation and, and me being inexperienced and, and, you know, seeing what I had on paper and seeing what we had to, to do to, to come up with that win. I, I found myself even saying, you know, well, why don't we try to take the air out, limit possessions. Um, and he looked at me like I was crazy, right? He, he asked me, he even said, you know, that, that's, that's pretty odd for me to hear you say, especially, um, you know, this, the, the type of player that you were, someone that was of the aggressive nature and, and um, would look to push the pace and not take the air out of the ball. And, you know, that, that has always resonated and stuck with me that, that on a night like that, even when we were limited um, with the talent, size, and athleticism we had, he found it, you know, paramount to continue doing what you do that has gotten you into that, posi- that position. Obviously, to get into that position, you're doing something that is impacting your opponent and is giving them problems and, and to change that up for no reason and to, to resort to doing something out, it, it's only making life easier for them. So, um, you know, that's always stuck with me. And I think that this is a great tale of that, that you can see that, you know, we're doing that on a lot of these games when in reality, we've already been doing something that is effective. And more than that, we have more firepower and more talent and more ro- rotations of guys out there that can just continue to put, you know, fuel to the fire to essentially just, you know, continue pushing that thing up to 15, 20, 25 point leads and, and really closing these things out. So they're not even, you know, tight coming down the stretch. So um, something that I've always found was, was very interesting. And, and hopefully my, my, my hope is for the Willie is, is maybe he, he starts going towards that direction and really relying on, on his offensive group of guys. Yeah, I, I think that's the, the way to go for this this team. Like you said, the NBA's changed, the style has changed, and, you know, there's comparisons of, you know, do you need a top defense to, you know, win in this league, or do you need just kind of a subpar defense and then just like a really good offense? Uh, so for this group, I, I say lean towards the offense. You have enough guys that are going to be uh, able to give you that firepower on a night-in and night-out basis. Uh, so, you know, only other thing is just that last three minutes, I think there should be some coaching changes, maybe a couple more timeouts here or there in situations and kind of maybe drawing up some sets instead of kind of just going off the cuff in the last couple minutes there. But uh, that's kind of what I saw there in these last three or four games. And uh, that that's all I really have to hammer home on that point. Yeah. And as we, as we segue away from, you know, speaking specifically about these three games and we start talking a little bit more big picture and um, you know, this group as a whole, you know, you, you said something there that that kind of sparked, you know, my memory. I was sitting there the other day. Um, I believe it was a, a interview between JJ Redick and, and Tim Legler. Um, obviously both well-respected guys in the NBA that certainly have a, a strong gauge and, and pulse on, on what's going on and not only basketball, but, but the NBA. Right. Um, and then you said something that, that sounded a lot like what they were saying is they were making the case that, you know, as teams and players evolve that, you know, an era that once was you could win championships with being completely defensive oriented and, and really lay your hat on that side of the floor. When, you know, you think back to some of those early 2000 Boston Celtics teams, some of those um, 
you know, that 2004 Detroit Pistons teams, those were teams that, that certainly um, their identity was, was formed around what they could do on the defensive end of the floor. Um, I think it's interesting that, you know, Tim Legler had even mentioned um, that although there isn't a need to be a, you know, defensive powerhouse or a team that, that is solely, um, you know, like we said, depending on their defensive versatility and their ability to stop people um, every night to, to make themselves a title contender, um, there still isn't a, a desire to have certain archetypes in terms of body types, skills, um, positional size, things of that nature that, that allows you to, if needed, go four or five minute stretches within these games um, to close games out, right? Or if you have an opposing team as a as one of their stars, they really have it going. Can you can you cool them off for four to five minutes to allow your team, um, you know, the time and and hopefully um, the ability to either push leads forward or you know to get back into ball games. And um, I thought that was very very important and something that I found myself you know agreeing with wholeheartedly. I, I don't think you need to be a team that um, is a top ten team team defensively. Um, I think it's it's it would be great to assume that everybody was wired like a Herb Jones, um, like a Marcus Smart, right? These guys that no matter what the situation is, whatever the role is, whatever the score is, whether it's a Tuesday night in Detroit or a Saturday night on prime time against the Lakers, they're going to bring the same level of effort and, and and style of play on the defensive end of the floor every single night. I think that's a, an unrealistic expectation, especially when you're looking at a, a, a team in totality, right? Um, but I think it's I think it's safe to say that I feel like when a team is playing with better pace, when a team is playing as a group offensively, when everybody is involved, when shots are going in, I think it's a lot easier as a group um, for everybody to not only be bought in defensively, but there's a... There's like there's a reward for being bought in defensively, right? There's a reward for um, you know forcing opponents to take tough shots and closing possessions out with a rebound because that's just only you know a quicker amount of time until you get back on the offensive end of the floor and potentially you're are getting another look. I think also just in terms of the more you can score, right, or get to the free throw line uh, in terms of being offensively centric and focused, that's more time that the opposing team is getting that ball out of the net. You're getting back setting your defense. You're not playing in transition. You're not being stuck in cross matchups, um, which often, you know, you'll find if a team does get in transition and even if they back it out right into, into like a semi or a secondary transition, most of the time those possessions end in a bucket just due to the mismatches um, that had occurred during that transition period. So um, I just found that very interesting and i thought it was something that could really relate to what this team is currently experiencing in or experiencing um and what direction i think that would be best suited for for not only the offensive end of the floor but the the positive impacts it would have on on the group as a whole defensively like you said pat i mean it's no secret that you know everyone wants to score uh especially in the nba Uh, everyone wants to see that ball go through the hoop uh that's you know, main guys, main focus. And in turn, when people are getting out and running in transition, uh, you know, hitting threes, driving to the basket, hitting mid-range shots, you are going to see that, you know, up level of defense uh, as well. So I couldn't agree with you more that, you know, lean into the offense, uh, try to get those easy buckets in transition, which will then lead to that other team getting the ball out of the basket, which makes your defense a little better and sounder just because you're in the right spots. You're not having to deal with cross matches, like you said. Uh, 
So I think, you know, teams teams trying to, you know, head towards that offensive end is only going to, you know, benefit that defense. And at the end of the day, you only need a couple stretches per game where you can go three to five minutes uh, to get stops. And ultimately, that's what's going to happen in the playoffs. Are you a team that can score enough buckets? And then, like you're saying, either at the end of the game or a stretch in the game, giving you that max of three to five minutes of defense on the floor where you can be focused. Because uh, right now, you know, not not many teams can be focused for the whole 48 minutes. Uh, so if you can get stretches where you can do that three minute stretch, uh, that that's a good sign for your team. Yeah, absolutely. And at the pace that offenses are playing at and um, the efficiency that they have, it might only take you two to three minutes and stringing together three, four stops and, and scoring on the other end. And, and that's enough to put a team away. Um, you know, I think that I think that covers a lot of what we're at least looking at or might be concerned at in terms of style and identity. I think, I think the other area that I wanted to touch on, and um, I think you'd be a great resource to, to give us a little feedback on this is really as a, as a coach in terms of some of those other things, right? His, his management of players, his, um, his time management, um, some of the things that we've found concerning on a night in night out basis, um, you know, of that nature that we think, or at least we're hopeful, right? As, as like we have said, you know, he is a younger coach. Um, hopefully he's growing from and, and is learning from those mistakes. But, um, you know, if not, is that something that really hinders this team's growth and ability to, to, to get to their highest level? And, and if not, is that a conversation that we need to start having that, that possibly there's another guy that we need to hand the keys to in terms of, um, you know, really leading this team and directing this team in, in the right direction? Yeah, I think you you hit on a few points there. You know, Willie has, uh, you know, pros to his coaching style. You know, he's a player's coach who's who's going to, you know, be there for the player as well. He's a good guy. Uh, but some of those bad things, you know, maybe time management or, you know, not holding each other accountable, but just maybe in those stressful situations, he might need to get a little better where I don't think that there's necessarily a voice for player to player maybe to say, hey, we need to get our stuff together. And I think that's maybe where he misses misses a little bit. He, he uses the, the phrase, I'm not uh, calling you out, I'm calling you up. You know, for me, like some people are different. They need to be yelled at to get that, you know, reaction in a game or whatever they might do. Uh, so I think, you know, Willie has a lot of uh, – potentially, you know, good things as a coach, like we said, but we do see some things bleeding over here in the last uh, couple games and this year so far. So, you know, ultimately, I think there's some things that you could change maybe with the team. And then if you go with Willie, uh, maybe he can grow as a coach. And in these situations, the more he gets into them. Um, but if not, then you might also look at another scenario where he might not be the guy and they need to get someone in here who maybe is a little more forceful with the guys who, you know, demands that respect and is going to demand, you know, things on a nightly basis, uh, game to game, you know, possession by possession, kind of those little things that will propel this team over the top in these games, in the playoffs and so on and so forth. Yeah. And that's well said. And I think, you know, to me, when I was asking that question, I think my mind naturally went a little more towards, um, the X's and O's and the like the time management stuff, but but certainly, yeah, I think there is a void of. It, it almost sounds like, and I think it's it's it is important. Don't get me wrong. I think it is critical to have that relationship with your players, 
Um, it is advantageous to be a player's um, friendly coach. I think that instills confidence at an earlier stage in a new coaching staff. Uh, I think that promotes buy-in from a group whenever they feel like you do have their best interest. But I think at the same time, I think it's important to hold those guys accountable, right? I think I think that's part of the process. And I think that's what you really see from some of those top tier players and coaches that they're that there is a level of respect and admiration and, and that coach is looking out for those guys. You know, I'm thinking of a, an Eric Spolstra, right? A Steve Kerr, um, you know, some of those higher tier coaches that there's no doubt that he has his players back and he'll go to, go to war with them and stick up for them no matter what. But at the same time, that coach is going to be the first guy to get into a Jimmy Butler, um, a Steph Curry and say, you know, we can't accomplish what we're trying to unless you're doing your job and this is what your job is tonight and this is what I need you to do. Um, and maybe some of that happens behind the scenes, but it seems like he is very passive. Um, he does let a lot of those things slide that, you know, I wouldn't have a problem with a, with a guy like um, if, if CJ McCollum or Brandon Ingram, if, if they make a mistake or two in a row that, that they're too good to be making that mistake, especially if it's one they've had in the past and they should have learned from, I'm fine with them being removed from a game, come sit for a couple minutes and then get back in there and, and, you know, um, you know, fix that mistake and, and show me that you've learned from that mistake. But I think there's a very fine line of, of allowing guys to play through things, but also, like I said, holding them accountable. And I think, unfortunately, over the last, I don't know, week, 10 days, two weeks in these games, it seems like we slid a little bit too much into the being players friendly and not enough of holding guys accountable. Um, in terms of, of that time management and and you know schematic aspect. I, I know there's there's two situations that really stick out to me um, when looking at these last couple games, um, talking about the the Grizzlies and the Houston Rockets matchup, and and maybe you can walk us through uh, maybe in detail what you saw from a timeout perspective. But um, that is concerning in terms of clock management, especially um, at times you've seen this group has really struggled at the end of the games. Um, they've been late getting into sets. Um, they haven't really been, I guess you could call it, on schedule um, to where they're. Um, going to be getting a good shot um, within that shot clock and, and aren't going to be fighting against the shot clock, um, as well as just not really being aware of what the situation in terms of is is time and timeout count. I can refer to a couple times where we just, we've lost timeouts or haven't used one to our advantage when you could have used it to either stop a run or like we said, come up with something um, to get one of your better players a clean look coming out of the, coming out of the break. So um, if you just want to go ahead and maybe provide some insight and in, in what you've been seeing in terms of Willie's clock management. Yeah, no doubt about it, Pat. Uh, you know, I'm someone of the belief that you don't take timeouts home with you. Uh, I mean, those timeouts are there for you to use as a tool to help you in those situations, like you said, to stop a team from a run, uh, get a set that you need to uh, you know, call late in these games. And I think that's where you've seen the biggest uh, hurdle with this team in the last three is, you know, I, I can get it if it's one game where, you know, it's the last 30 seconds of the game, you just get a defensive stop or the other team scores and you come down and you just, you know, feel confident in your team, which I think in sense is some of that like players coach in Willie because he's saying, oh, well, I believe in you guys. So we don't necessarily need to call a timeout get something set up and I'm just going to trust you guys in that situation, which is really, really good for the player. But when you've seen it struggle, you know, 15 times this year where, where they've done the same thing, you know, 
you saw it in the first Memphis game. 30 seconds left, you have two timeouts. Uh, either the game's tied or you're down one. I would like to see a timeout being called there because, as you see, when games get tighter in these uh, situations, the other team's going to be playing more physical. They're going to be grabbing. The refs aren't going to be calling these ticky-tacky fouls. So I would like to actually see something, a timeout called, have a set in play, and have two or three options from that play. And at the end of the day, you just live with your stars making or missing the shots. What you can't be okay with is letting it run that last 30 seconds, getting a shot with four seconds or three seconds on the shot clock after you've wasted 20 seconds because you don't have any flow or set or anything that you can go to. And you saw that three times with the first Memphis game, uh, the Houston game, and then that second Memphis game that we saw last night. It, it just, it's just a shame, and I think that's where a lot of fans are frustrated, or especially me, me and you, where, you know, I, you saw the same three things, 30 seconds left, no timeout, two timeouts left on the board that he took home with him. I mean, you've got to find a way that in these close games to get your best players the best opportune shot possible, and then you just live with the results from there. But what I'm not okay with is not calling the timeouts and then you're discombobulated for 20 seconds and you basically either get a shot clock violation or you get a, you know, 30 foot three, you know, contested in your face. Yeah. And like we said, right, there, there's always going to be mistakes that happen. And um, some of it is you just you, you can't really control it. Right. Especially um, earlier in the year as you're kind of coming together as a group. But. I think the key thing is, is is throughout this duration of a year, right? It's a long season, a lot of opportunities to to make improvements. Is you've got to you've got to be willing to admit and acknowledge when you've made a mistake, and then at that point, do everything you can to ensure that you are not going to make that mistake again. And you know, not only are we seeing that from the timeout perspective, um, you know, one play um, that I have in mind is the that that late game possession against Memphis there that they they used to essentially force the overtime um you know with with four tenths of a second on the clock it, it essentially um doesn't allow for a catch and shoot especially if a guy has caught the ball at the, his back of the basket or is moving away from the basket right um there, there's virtually zero percent chance that someone's gonna be able to make a clean catch and, and get a you know clean look off and and get it within that that you know four tenths of a second so for me to see Willie direct his team and his defense the way that he did. And, and for those that, that maybe weren't there, right, there was a sideline out of bounds with four tenths of a second. And um, at that point, right, you knew Memphis only could essentially throw it up to the front of the rim and, and play for a tip in at that point. Not only did we, one, have JV in there, who is one of the, I would say it's fair, one of the slowest of foot. He's not very quick. He, he's, he's limited in terms of vertical athleticism, so he wouldn't be the ideal match in terms of um, you know protecting said rim. But then he also had a guy like Trey Murphy, who is the ideal scenario, right? He had Trey Murphy, who was 6'10", long, athletic, very explosive, um, guarding the inbounder when there is no threat of that inbounder, you know, catching the ball and, um, you know, essentially being an additional guy on the floor, right? I would have loved to see Willie roll Trey off that ball and have him playing almost free safety because at that point with four tenths of a second, um, you know, essentially a tipped ball at the rim ends that game. So that in itself was disheartening. But then to almost to think back and to see, 
hey, this is one of those situations that, weirdly enough, has already occurred against the same exact team and the same exact player, right? There was a previous game against Memphis where they did the exact same thing. They came out in the exact same set, and the same exact thing happened. We came out set up the same way. Jaron Jackson Jr. was able to get an uncontested roll to the rim, and, and both times we, we fouled him on the catch and essentially sent Jaron to the free throw line. So although I don't think it was a, a difficult scenario to you know, prepare for and defend against, I certainly can't have that happening two times in a row when you have learned from it. So to me, that's where I think there needs to be growth and, and where a lot of my concern comes from if, if Willie is is the guy moving forward for this group. Yeah, and just, just playing off of that, I think there was another instance where, you know, you know, Zion's not the greatest defender, but in that game as well, they take Zion off the floor and ultimately go with a smaller player on Jaron Jackson and you even heard it from their telecast saying oh well they're just playing right into our hands and then that's how you know late in the game they got two big buckets which ultimately you know propelled them in that game so it's just small things here or there where like you're saying he's leaning towards when things get a little you know wacky for him or he feels nervous about it he's leaning towards the defense instead of just saying like yeah Zion might not be the greatest defender but he's a big body he was doing fine on Jaron you know, with the switches and, you know, whatever it may be. And he's kind of like, oh, well, I'm going with the smaller guy, uh, less strong, just because, like, he's the defender out there. And it just, like they said, kind of played into with our hands. So it's just kind of just disheartening that in some of these moments in the past week, it's kind of been the same story, different day, different game. And it seems like we haven't learned from it just yet. Yeah, and that's a, I think that's a good way to, to wrap up at least this portion of the conversation as we look back at the – the past week or so in, in these games and, and what our feedback is and and what really has been, I think, revealed as, as points of weakness and areas that need to be um, corrected, right? Um, as we segue away from that, right, and we're going to start looking at maybe some bigger picture conversations, both in terms of um, coaching and, you know, player personnel or, or roster construction, right? I, I Piggybacking off of that interview that I referred back to um, from the old man in the three JJ Reddick pod, um, you know, I took some time and, and sat down and, and wanted to at least jot down some of the things that I think are critical or, or that I see across the league that, that some of the best teams in the world, you know, possess. And I wanted to essentially judge the Pelicans based on that, right? That, that seems to at least be a reasonable target that, that can give you an, an actual, you know, feedback in terms of where really are you and what, do you, what are you lacking? And I, I'd love to share those with you. And then, um, one, or first off, go ahead and if you feel that some of them are irrelevant or if there's some that you think that should be added to that list, let me know. And then two, do we think that Willie um, possesses the characteristics that we've seen so far to, to potentially coach a team um, if they do possess this, right? Does this fit what we've seen him and, and the ways that he envisions the team to be coached and to be ran? So first for me would be, um, first and foremost, as this is a, a star-driven league, right? We we oftentimes will hear it's a it's a make-or-miss league. I think that that piggybacks off of it's a make-or-miss league based on your stars, right? Stars are the number one thing in this league. That's why you always will see free agency, trade rumors. Everything is driven by star movement and and star players' performance. So for me, the most important thing that a team can do is can they create spacing for said stars? Um, that spacing is going to allow those players to operate in an efficient manner. 
Um, and at that point, if they do have the spacing um, that they need to essentially, like you, like, you know, from a guy like Brandon, if he has that spacing to, to essentially get to his spots and create quality look after quality look, at some point then you're going to end up having to come over and help. And, and at that point, if you do have appropriate spacing, um, it becomes very difficult for the defense to um, schematically come up with something that, um, you know, while you are still making it difficult and making said star players work for it, you also can't just allow free reign from the perimeter um, as we know that, you know, the uptick and in, in three-point shooting and, and the impact that that shot has. Um, second would be versatility. I think that, that that's twofold. And I think one of those, you know, really segues into my third item, but I think of versatility in two ways. Versatility is in terms of your playing style, right? And I think directly towards offense. Are you a three-level scorer? Are you a player that operates in, in numerous different parts of the floor? Or are you someone that operates in one part of the floor and, and can be very easily taken out of either your rhythm or, or stopped from getting to set spot? Um, the other is in terms of positional size and you know athletic ability. And that's why I said my third would be length. Right, I think it's critical um, to have that versatility. You need to have a lot of guys that, um, like we've seen, you know, end of games, you really see it's that six five to six six up to six nine. Really, that's your mold of players that are that are closing out these games. Right for um, switchability in terms of defense, um, in terms of the offensive capabilities of um, it makes it very difficult because a lot of those guys in that six five to six nine build, you know, have the ability to put the ball on the deck, can play make. Um, can run an offense and it, it makes it very difficult for a defense to prepare and and to you know ultimately stop that um, on top of my versatility and length like we touched on on that previous pod we mentioned I think it's crucial to have defensive lineups or defensive groups of guys that you can play in spurts we don't think it's very critical to always have two a plus defenders on the floor or a world-class rim protector although it is nice I don't think it's a must-have criteria you have to have the ability to put a group of guys out there for, like we said, a three, four, five-minute stretch that you can string together three, four stops in a row and ultimately go down and still score on the other end. And I think that the Pelicans, they, they do have that, right? Um, even without any changes to the roster or improvements or, or growth from players, I think it's safe to say that you could probably target two to four guys that really fit that mold, right? That they have the versatility, they have the length, and they have um, – you know, the desire to be a defensive oriented guy and take pride on that. And then last would be shot makers versus shot creators. I think you have to have a healthy blend of both. One without the other is, is nowhere near as effective. Um, and in terms of um, the Pelicans, they have a couple of guys that, um, you know, are able to do both. And that usually is what sets um, really solid rotation players or even good starters uh, apart from all-star and all NBA players. Um, for New Orleans, I think they do have that, um, especially when you look at a guy like Brandon Ingram, right? I think he's the epitome of this. He's a 6'9 wing. He's a three-level scorer. Um, you know, he he's flirted with 50, 40, 90 on a number of occasions. Um, he's super efficient. So not only is he a, a shot maker, right, a higher percentage of shots that he takes ultimately find their way through the net, but he's also a very, very, very efficient shot creator, not only for himself, he doesn't have to play within the flow of the offense when things get bogged down, um, when, when defenses start to tighten up and take away your first or second read. He has the ability to put the ball on the floor and generate good looks by himself just due to his size, length, um, and skill set. 
But also besides that, especially I think we mentioned in that last Memphis game, I believe um, you had told me he had 19 potential assists. Um, this is a guy that looks for his teammates, right? Um, by no means is he a guy that's hunting shots or is going to be looking to take bad shots just to get his numbers or, or, or whatever that mindset might be. He truly is a guy that wants to make the right basketball play at the right time, right? If he stays with single coverage and, and he has a guy that he has a size advantage of or is able to get to his spots, it's an advantageous shot for the team if he is taking that look. But at the same time, if he's drawing two or he has a, um, a big and pick and roll that's, that's stepping up and taking away, he is more than happy to drop that off to you know, a Jonas Valanciunas who's rolling or a, a guy like Trey Murphy that might be um, out on the wing or in the corner, right? So um, they certainly have a guy in Brandon that does possess that. And then I think you could even you could start to roll in a guy like CJ. When, when CJ's got it rolling, he does possess some of these things. Um, so I think in terms of that, that would be the five most, I guess you could call them modern basketball concepts that each of these teams are being built around and, and are looking for. So first of all, what do you think of that list? Um, and then outside of that, what is your confidence in a guy like Willie Green and, and really um, melding all of these different um, ingredients together and, and, you know, getting the most out of this group? Yeah, I mean, all those things are, you know, different skills or things that you need for a championship level level squad for yourself. And, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. I do believe that the Pelicans do have all five of these uh, different things necessary. Do I necessarily think that all five of these are being utilized to the best of the abilities? No, I don't think so, because I believe there's certain players that are playing. Um especially going with the spacing for your stars. Uh, you know, you have a Trey Murphy who's out there. You have CJ who's out there. But you have a guy, be it a rookie, Jordan Hawkins, who is sitting on the bench getting DNPs night in and night out after, you know, proving himself for the first 20 games of the season. But now that the whole roster is completely healthy, uh, you haven't seen him. And already in this league, he's probably one of the best, you know, catch-and-shoot uh, guys from the outside. Um, so versatility, I believe that this team has a lot of versatility. They have the length on the wings. You see it say Brandon Ingram, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, Dyson Daniels, so on and so forth. You, you see that length. Um, we have defensive lineups that we can, you know, throw out there, like we've said. Do you want to necessarily be playing two guys at all times? No, but you have a handful of guys with Herb, Dyson, Najee, Jose as well. Um, and then, of course, we have shot makers and shot creators. Just going off of the BI thing, you know, he's a shot maker and he's a shot creator. Uh, not many people in this league, if any, I don't think can probably block his shot. If he gets to his spot, he's more than likely, you know, at that point, it's if he just hits the shot or misses the shot. Um, but back to my point, do I think it's necessarily all coming together right now as this roster's, you know, constructed? I don't think so. Um, I think with a few tweaks here or there, maybe you get that, uh, you know, eventually to that stand. And I'll just go into it a little bit. Um, right now, I, I think if Willie was given the opportunity with a said group and these players playing in these, uh, you know, rotations or these skill sets, I think he could do a good job because I think right now they're kind of battling that. Do we play this way or do we play this way? And I think one way is better than the other. Uh, so I'll just throw it back to you to see if you have any 
more comment on that and then maybe we can uh, start diving into some other things as well. Yeah, and happy to happy to hear that you didn't completely shred my list um, on that one. Um, it seems like we're certainly aligned on that. And I think you, you did say, you know, a, a very interesting item there regarding, you know, Jordan Hawkins, right? I think that that's a prime example of what we're talking about. And it, it seems like these two things have, have flipped, right? We think that the most important thing is spacing for stars. And it's, it's important to have moments of defensive versatility and being able to go to those lineups where it feels like Willie has those in reverse, right? He wants to have defensive oriented guys and defensive lineups always on the floor. And then wherever he can, um, you know, drop a little bit of shooting in there, then, then that's how he, he views it. Um, you know, to me, that's, that's a big part of the problem. And, and, and some of it is also, you know, the responsibility of the organization to understand that that is Willie's current flaw and to potentially protect him from himself. Right. Uh, you know, we, I've used the analogy, right. If, if you were, if you had a vice, which at this point, Willie's vice is, is, you know, defensive oriented guys and, and not trusting offensive oriented guys. If you had a vice, I, I wouldn't keep giving you that vice or giving you access to it. Right. If you were a, if you were a, a gambler and couldn't stop and had a problem, I wouldn't invite you to a, a bachelor party in Vegas and say, you know, have your field day on the slot machines. Right. I, I would probably keep you away from that. So in terms of Willie green, right. I'm not going to just keep ha allowing him unlimited access to guys that would be deemed as defensive oriented players. And I think that's where you start having some discussions in terms of does this roster need to have some, some, you know, overhaul and make some moves and, and maybe ultimately pivot. Um, and I, I think that there is some truth to that. Um, and as we kind of, like you said, segue into this final segment of the show, as we start talking about this, this team as a whole and the organization and potential moves, I think you're, I think you're proposed with three options moving forward, right? And I don't, I don't know if any of these options happen within the next, you know, month or if this is an off season thing, but there's really three overall outcomes that I see. It's that you believe this team currently constructed is good enough to do it, and you don't you don't have the co the correct coach for it, which in terms Willie would not be back or would be fired midseason. Or two, you don't believe that this is the correct roster for the modern game that you have seen this team. You know before you could rely on oh well they weren't healthy you hadn't seen this group fully healthy and see what they could do or what it looks like, but. At this point, all things together, this team has been relatively healthy, and especially the main three, you've seen them play um, enough minutes together. And, you know, if you come to the conclusion that, that we need to pivot from this and we need to change how we're doing things, then I think that's also another conversation. And then I think there's a, a melding of both, right? You could also say, yes, this team is not built the correct way, whether it's Willie or someone else. But at the same time, we feel like we need to have another coach. And I think... Um, you know, at that point, right, not only are you building for a team that, that is the most successful um, in terms of fit, but you need to build and put a product on the floor that is attractive to other coaches and guys that you would be, you know, aspiring to be your new head coach, right? You know, in terms of when Willie took the job, I know there was at least rumors floating around the, the you know, hemisphere of, of Pelican fan base that, you know, he was the third or fourth guy on the totem pole that they were really targeting. And, and for some reason, you know, other guys took other jobs or stayed with their team. So I think that that's something that you certainly need to to keep in mind. Right. And, you know, if I was a betting man, I, I don't envision the Pelicans, um, 
making a, a large coaching change within the year. I know Willie um, is due for a contract extension is following this year. He, he no longer has a contract with the team. And um, you know, just my read on the room is if I had to, you know, make a bet, I would assume Willie probably is not back next year. Um, so at that point, I think you're, you're sprung into saying, do we make a move right now that we feel like could expedite this process? And then if not that, is there something that we can do that can make this job more attractive for the next guy that's coming in, the next guy that we're going to try to, you know, theoretically poach from another top organization. And I think that that's something that's very important. And I think that to do that, right, especially the direction that this game's heading, you need to have as much, like we said, versatility, length, spacing for your stars. You need to determine if you have the right stars, which I think is going to be a driving force for a lot of, at least my um, conversation here. Um, and you need to really ensure, do I have everything in place that a guy is going to be taking a risk on you at that point, right? This is a team that has underperformed for a couple of years. Um, it's not an overly large market. It's not a team that, um, you know, at times has been very stable. There has been some uneasiness, right? Um, so a guy is going to have to feel very comfortable and convinced that he can make um, a serious change and, and really win with this group. So I know we've been tossing it around, you know, NBA Twitter is always notorious for tossing stuff around. Um, and, you know, I took some time and started looking around and, and started having those conversations with myself as well as some, you know, other individuals that I, I hold in high regard in terms of their basketball insight and knowledge when it comes to this. Um, and I, I came up with a couple things that I think would at least be worth talking about, discussing the feasibility of it. And if, if you think that it would, you know, ultimately be a good fit for this organization and, and the group of guys that they currently have in place. Yeah, uh, no doubt, Pat. Uh, you know, I, I'll just first by saying this is, you know, never an easy conversation to have uh, when you're talking about, you know, your team, your said stars how to improve uh, just cause you just, you just never know. Like you, you can say certain things that might make the roster better and it might not, that just might not work and fit well. And currently at this moment, I feel in a way that this roster has a lot of good pieces and great pieces on it, which is going back to those five things. Like you said, they have a lot of the pieces and, you know, down to the nitty gritty of things I think they can get it done. It's just, you know, small maneuvers here or there that you might need to, you know, offload a player here or there uh, to then get back in return some other stuff for that. Um, so it, it's never easy to talk about this. And, you know, I'll just go ahead and say it. I, I don't think that this team currently, uh, you know, play style wise, given that Zion Williamson in the, Five years he's been in the NBA, it's been kind of a rocky road. He was billed as this, you know, really athletic player coming out of college, which he was, and there was a lot of hype around it. But given, you know, injuries and uh, different, you know, weight issues because of injuries and not being able to be on the court for a couple years, you know, he's just not that same type of player. And I think that's kind of the crossroads the Pelicans are at right now is uh, do you think you can get it done with this group? I don't believe so. I think that the ceiling for this group currently constructed would be the floor of, say, you know, offloading Zion in a trade or getting a piece here or there. That would be their floor because I do think that they have a lot of good pieces with Ingram, Trey Murphy, who's, you know, an ascending 
uh, player in this league. Granted, it's his third year. Uh, you know, CJ McCollum's still on the team. Jordan Hawkins, your young rookie who you, you know, is a sharp shooter. Um, you know, the, the, the list goes on and on. But, you know, in my point of view, that's the way I'm leaning is, you know, it's it's hard to do this, but my viewing is it just doesn't work with Zion, you know, schematically anymore with how everybody else aligns with on this team. Uh, you know, I, I hate it to say that because you want Zion to, you know, be what he was billed towards. And it's just unfortunate that, you know, maybe because of all these injuries, he has lost a step athletically or whatever it may be. But uh, that's the way I would go. And I just want to just turn it back over to you to see, see what you got. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great breakdown. Piggybacking off the Zion thing, right? This is always a, an often debated conversation is, is just Zion as a whole. Right. And I think the, the, the word you used was unfortunate. I think, First and foremost, if you're starting to have these conversations or in a place where you feel like, you know, you can't win at the level you want to win with having him there, I think that that just that kind of spells out where you're currently at. Um, like you said, I mean, I think you even undersold it a little bit. I mean, let's be honest. At, at, when Zion entered this league, he was essentially handed the keys to this league. You know, he was billed as the next LeBron James. He was the guy. He was the most marketable, um, you know. There, there was not one negative thing said about him. So at that point, right, you could have went back and forth whether you should have went with Zion or Ja, right? Ja obviously has become an all-NBA-level player and has been obviously had some of his own issues, but all in all is a, is a very talented and um, very high-level player. But, um, you know, a lot of the things that drove Zion to being the number one pick and, and, and getting this admiration and, and being almost forecasted to be this next face of the league was his athletic ability and his explosiveness. And, you know, you would assume that he was going to couple that with um, expected growth and maturity of his game, right? He would continue to round his game and to become more versatile and add layers to it as, as you would just assume for any, you know, up and coming player, right? That's the natural progression. Um but unfortunately, like you said, whether it is because of injuries or um, some of the issues that he's been dealing with, obviously we know the contract, he has the weight clause in there and um, the body fat clause. And, you know, obviously I'm sure that, again, no pun intended, weighs on him. Um, it, it feels like not only for, for, for the team in terms of their fit, it feels like he almost needs a change of scenery, um, which is why I think it makes it a little bit easier to start having these discussions because – Unfortunately, he is not the same guy he was when he came into this league at 19 years old, right? Um, he always had some flaws in his game in terms that I at least outwardly expressed of, I never thought it was going to be super easy to build around a, a six foot six, you know, at that point, power forward um, who really couldn't stretch the floor and, and shoot the ball from the perimeter. I always found that you would have had to have been so precise in your roster construction and lineup construction that just from an odds perspective, it never was going to be, you know, something that would be likely. And, and all things together, I think the Pelicans have done a pretty good job. They've, they've nailed a lot of the things you would need, but even showing that shows you like you've got a lot of them right, but you're still a, a long way away from having the ideal fit next to him. And that was when Zion was at his best. Um, Currently, he, he's just, he's not that level of player. And 
Um, I think that you need to remember that when you have these conversations, you're no longer thinking about, I'm trading an MVP candidate. I'm trading a guy that right now has taken a downtick in almost every one of his statistical categories. He's playing less minutes than he ever has. And although I think there is an opportunity for him to return to a very high-level player, you also have to be realistic and be unbiased to the fact that like other teams are going to have the same concerns and queries that you certainly have about Zion. So when when I started looking around the league of how do I improve this team and um you know what can I do to to build up the rest of this roster that's what I had to keep in mind. It, it no longer was going to be that you were going to be getting some haul for Zion. I think Zion can still just due to his his age, his marketability, um obviously he is talented. Um right he can still be the driving force of a trade, but to think that he's going to net you some huge return or you're not going to give up anything at all, I think is, is just very unrealistic. And um, I think at that point you would be uh, being very biased. So as I started this, call it um, not experiment, but um, thought process, there were a couple of key criteria that, that I needed to keep in mind and, and um, make sure I was hitting as I was looking through potential trades and, and potential guys that I could add to this to this roster. Um, first and foremost was the, the, the current team has way too much of the same strengths, right? Your core couple of guys, when you look at a, a Brennan Ingram, a CJ McCollum, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas, um, a lot of them have the same strength or they operate in the same spaces of the floor, which I think lends itself to maybe some of the confusion and some of the um, the space issues that you're seeing at the end of the games is I, I don't think it's, you know, confusing that when these games do become tight and guys want to be as effective as possible, they're all going to be fighting for that same amount of space and, and getting to those same areas of the floor. And, you know, you can't not play those three together because they are your three best players, but it just seems like there is a lot of clashing in terms of their stylistic approach and, and the way that they play and the areas of the floor that they play. So for me, I need to di to diversify um, that among my my two or three best players. I needed a couple guys that were going to be operating in different spec spaces of the floor um, and really bringing a different type of um, skill set to the floor. Um, you had touched on it earlier. Now, my next key item would be that I would need to operate or need to open up opportunities for those emerging skill sets and players. Um, I think you called out two perfect guys, um, Trey Murphy. Um, obviously, like you said. In his third year, um, he's a 6'10 wing, um, incredibly long, incredibly athletic. We've often said it. He's probably one of the only guys in the league that on the same night could win the three-point contest and the dunk contest. Um, you know, that's a guy, especially over this year, that, that we see as a guy that could probably be a, um, a number two, but if not a number two, certainly a very high-level number three um, option on a, on a title-contending team. He has the skill set to do it. And I think um, he's ahead of schedule right now, and, and it's – He's putting you in a position where he's almost expediting the process that you need to make this decision because he's not going to wait around for the keys. He's he's taking them. He wants the opportunity. And to be honest, I, I think he's deserving of the opportunity. Um, and then another guy is, is a guy like Jordan Hawkins, right? That's a guy that you spent a, a lottery pick on, a guy that certainly you valued and you targeted and you were able to obtain. Um, and in his you know opportunities this year has been an incredible player. There was a time earlier in the year that, you know, he was in the top three of the um, rookie of the year race with a guy like Chet Holmgren and um, Victor Wembanyama, who in all regards are viewed as cornerstone franchise players. So um, certainly, you know, a great young talent in Jordan Hawkins. Um, 
Next would be I wanted to create a hierarchy within my three best players. I think right now you have three guys that all for their own specific reasons feel like they should be the guy, um, that the team is better suited to be ran through them, as well as I think that even the team is unaware of, of what the best thing is for them. So I want to create a hierarchy where, where roles are very defined. Guys are very um, aware of what is asked of them on a night-in, night-out basis and what is going to garner them to get more opportunity in playing time, right? A guy like um, Dyson Daniels and, and Herb Jones, I want it to be clear, we're not relying on you to be a shooter, which you are not right now. You need to continue to be that defensive-focused guy that, that you really paved your way and, and found a way in this league um, to, to impact the game. And then, you know, piggybacking off of that is you need to ultimately maximize the strengths of your role players and, and to remove those unlikely, um, you know, roles and responsibilities from other guys, right? I want um, those guys that, that do have very specific skill sets not to be asked to do too much. Allow them to truly be role players and to support your current star players or, or key players, right? Really allow the construction of that group of your big two or three, you could call it, to be the driving force and to allow them to to actually just be a role player and to support it, right? Um, so that's what I was keeping in mind. Is there anything outside of that that you think would be pivotal when when targeting, you know, some potential shakeups at this roster? No, I mean, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Uh, like I said, I think currently constructed, we do have a lot of those pieces, you know, in-house right now. It's just kind of fine-tuning those last couple things that, you know, coincides with all those things you were trying to get. If it's, you know, in a trade, you're getting another shooter or another defender or whatever it may be, that's ultimately just going to make this team, you know, better and sounder around the edges. Um, you know, you're going to try to look for a guy if you're offloading Zion, maybe a star uh, or like a number two guy to come in to really help out that, you know, hierarchy, like you said, that there's a clear defiance between your number one, your two and your three. And then you have those uh, specific roles. Uh, from the rest of those guys, which I think are currently on this roster. Yeah, uh, it sounds like we agree there, right? I think the biggest, you know, focal point of this move for me is finding a, a like we've said it, finding a guy that can truly unlock the rest of this roster. We think that this roster is talented. We think they possess almost all of the characteristics that you need, but I think you're missing a piece or right now you you have too much of the same that isn't allowing everything to kind of, round into form and kind of settle into its appropriate fit um, and need right now. It seems like everybody's a little discombobulated. So for me, um, that was my main, you know, goal that I wanted to accomplish. Right. And, and as I look around the league um, and like I said, wanting to be as, as fair and unbiased and, and, and realistic as oneself and, and really spend some time looking at something that is feasible, something that I think could potentially happen. Um, the team that I targeted was the Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks currently are 12 and 17. Um, they've been, you know, dealing with the, the Trey Young experience for about four or five years. And yes, they have experienced some success, but all in all, they have been a very up and down basketball team. Um, you know, this is a team that kind of, you know, one would say they kind of swung for the fences uh, about a year and a half ago when they did acquire DeJounte Murray. They did give up a lot of draft capital. Um, cause they viewed him as kind of like that one remaining piece that they were missing, um, which up until this point, um, you know, has not panned out, um, with that in mind, like I said, they are 12 and 17. Um, they have, it appears grown to be a little bit stagnant. Um, this is going to be, 
um, Quinn Snyder's second year on the job, or I guess first full year, but second year as the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks. And if we do know anything about Quinn Snyder, he values defensive-oriented guys, um, guys that bring a level of toughness and professionalism, um, you know, to his organization. Um, and, you know, with that, it, it seems like there needs there is a little bit of butting heads in the Atlanta Hawks' backcourt. Um, you have two guys in DeJounte Murray and Trey Young, um, who both rightfully so feel like they should have the keys to the organization. They should be running um, that offense and, and should be the point guard of the future for that team. So, um, you know, with that in mind, I, I think it's safe to assume that, that that experiment would probably be viewed as a failure up until this point. And I wouldn't be surprised that they would be looking to offload one of those, you know, after assuming that they would decide to move off of those in terms of Atlanta, like we said, they've been kind of down this road for four or five years. DeJounte seems to be more of a fit for a Quinn Snyder um, team. He is the bigger guard. He is a cheaper um, contract currently stated. So in my opinion, I, I truly do believe, and I don't think it would be cheap, and I think Atlanta would have the leverage based off of um, you know, your current situation with Zion, but I do think that Trey Young is a guy that is obtainable. Um, so you know, when taking a look at that, um, prior to getting into you know pros and cons of each organization or one or why one might be um, you know presented with this and, and ultimately decide to to move forward with it. Um, in terms of what I think the New Orleans Pelicans would have to give up, I think like we said, first and foremost, it starts with Zion Williamson. Um, he still is a marquee player. He is a marquee name. Um, he does have um, you know a contract that is easily um, replaced with a guy like Trey Young, who is also on a max deal. At that point, I think you throw in a guy like Kyra Lewis, um, almost kind of in the same mold as a Trey Young. He's a smaller, quicker guard. He was a former lottery pick that um, just hasn't really gotten able to have a lot of opportunity here, here in New Orleans, but certainly could see them taking a flyer on a guy like Kyra Lewis. Um, after that, I think Atlanta, again, knowing what Quinn Snyder um, certainly values, I could see them targeting one of our um, defensive-oriented wings, which... Again, I think that is some of that addition by subtraction. You're removing some of that backlog of defensive-oriented guys that gets Willie in trouble or the next head coach, if that's the case. Um, and then two first-round picks. Ideally, if you're New Orleans, you would like to not lose a guy like Dyson Daniels, right? The, the former number eight pick who has shown flashes of greatness on the defensive end and a willingness to be um, a guy that, that takes on more responsibility offensively, although is still very raw. Um, but I think if you're acquiring a guy like Trey Young, ultimately, um, you'd have to be okay with with signing off on moving a guy like Dyson, knowing you would then still be obtaining a guy like Najee, and then obviously still having a guy like Herb Jones um, still on the roster. So, And then for me, the Pelicans would be doing this just to obtain a guy like Trey Young. Um, the, the Hawks would be the ones assuming that they're giving up the better player at the current state. So um, I think it it's safe to assume that the Pelicans would be giving up more in this offer and, and would have to attach some draft capital to, to make it worth it. Um, in terms of looking at this from a, from a pros and cons standpoint, first when looking at Atlanta, I, I think the biggest thing is I think it's just a, a change of scenery for both guys. Both organizations have grown a little bit stagnant, um, you know, just having to do with the different issues they've had with each star player. And I think that just kind of is a change up to that stagnant state. It's a fresh start for both, both organizations. Um, secondly, I think Atlanta would probably be, they would probably assume that they're gambling on the higher ceiling player. Obviously there are some things that um, are preventing Zion from being 
um, the player that, that he was touted to be. But I, I think there's a level of they assume, well, maybe it was just a New Orleans problem or a fit with that roster or that head coach and that they would have confidence in, um, you know, the fact that this will be Zion in a larger market, which he has certainly expressed some interest in. And he's always kind of been it's been floated around him. Right. Um, he would have a change of scenery, he would have a whole a fresh start that I think they would be confident in the fact that they could return, um, you know, Zion to that marquee level talent and, and borderline MVP caliber player um next it would just open up room in the backcourt for murray to fully get the keys and there wouldn't be um any more confusion in terms of whose team it was and and who would be running the show um next would be the flexibility of zion's contract um although he is on a max deal um you know here in recent weeks we've we've gotten some more information and detail regarding um the actual um you know the the details of the actual deal and and what impacts may be had if, if Zion, you know, faces other injuries or, or doesn't meet certain clauses. So, um, you know, when they have a guy like Trey Young, who's owed probably upwards of close to $250 million over the next five years, by no means is Trey's contract a, a super um, movable deal or, or something that they feel like they could likely get off of as, as time goes and if things continue to go south. So um, I think that that would certainly be a pro for the Atlanta Hawks. And then obviously as any other deal, um, for a star player, you'd be giving up a young player and some additional draft capital. So um, I think there always is that that chance that if they did want to hit a hard reset, they would have some young players, some draft picks that would help, you know, kind of kickstart that rebuild. Um, in terms of the Pelicans, um, again, mostly all pros. And I think we'll touch on a couple of the cons that we might have from a just on paper aspect when, when acquiring a guy like Trey Young. But first and foremost, I think you're going to get that primary ball handler that you've certainly been um, trying to obtain and, and have really been missing for the last couple of years. Um, obviously your hope is that you have a very strong minded um, head coach, whether it's Willie or the next guy in command, but in the event that you don't have what you're looking for from a head coaching spot, having a very, um, you know, a veteran um, proven guy that you can be trusted with to handle the ball and make decisions certainly makes that, um, a lot less impactful in terms of the coaching fit. Next would be shooting. Um, you know, Trey is a guy that that takes and makes a lot of threes. And not only that, he shoots with a lot of range, which um, when we were talking about getting spacing is going to really stretch the floor out, give a lot of your other players, you know, additional room for driving lanes and, and to get to their spots within the paint. Um, this deal would allow other defensive-minded guys to kind of revert back to being focus on the defensive end, you know, you start to look at a guy like Herb Jones that currently um, you're having to flirt with the idea of getting him out of the starting lineup for additional shooting, just because you already have a guy like in like Zion that can't shoot. Um, you're having to take away something from that group that, that can be advantageous. So by having not only Trey Young in there, but getting off of a guy like Zion and implementing Trey Murphy as a shooter, um, you're allowing a guy like Herb Jones to really be cemented as that defensive stopper when really at that point, all other four guys in that lineup do have the capability to stretch the floor. Um, on top of that, I think you would see a clear increase in effectiveness in guys like JV and Brandon Ingram. Um, JV at that point would, would have a lot more space on that low block. You wouldn't have that defender that would be theoretically guarding Zion floating around on the other side or on the opposite block. Um, I can envision for both guys, um, Trey having a direct correlation in that spacing. I imagine Trey... Um, at times dropping the ball down to JV on the block and, 
and that defender really can't leave Trey to come down and, and dig that ball out, and he would have a lot more one-on-ones where we found JV to be very effective. And then, um, you know, in a situation that really would get me excited is um, I think B.I.'s game would really go to the next level. I think at times we've seen him really approaching um, superstar status, especially later in the year and in bigger games and in playoff games where we've seen him take his game to being a 27-point-per-game scorer, seven assists, seven rebounder, um, and really being one of the best wings in the league. I, I think with the addition of, of Trey and, and the things that he would bring in terms of that spacing and shooting, I, I firmly believe Brandon could cement himself as a top 15, top 12 player um, You know, as some of these older wings in the league like LeBron and KD. Um, I think that he could be right there pushing Jason as one of the best wings in the league. Um, and I think a lot of that would have to do with just the addition that Trey would, would give him in terms of um, spacing. Um, he would he would push the pace. Um, he would do a good job of, I, I believe, even currently Trey's averaging close to almost 10 assists a night. And you'd have to imagine a couple of those would be easy buckets for Brandon. So um, I think that his life just gets exponentially easier. The one concern I know that we've mentioned about having um, not just Trey Young specifically, but I know you've talked about maybe – some of the aspects in terms of um, adding another guard is the potential of having a smaller backcourt, right? I think, although true, Trey would be um, a downgrade in terms of positional size at the point guard that we currently have. Um, we've both talked about the fact that if you would be removing Zion and inserting a guy like Trey Murphy, you would have that additional size and length at the power forward position, which altogether would theoretically offset some of those size concerns um, in terms of the point guard. Um, and even looking at that, I think not only for the Pelicans, I think for Trey, the Pelicans would be a good fit because he truly would have four guys that would have positional size um, and length and could really cover for him on the defensive end. And then finally, and, and possibly most importantly, right, you're opening up minutes and opportunities for Hawkins and Murphy, um, which we were really trying to um, do. And that was one of the main driving forces of deciding to move off of Zion and targeting a player that, that does give them that opportunity. So. With that, I, I certainly would love to open it up. If if you have any feedback, concerns, anything at all, I'm, I'm happy to discuss it and, and, and talk through what that potentially looks like. Yeah, thanks, Pat, for uh, swinging it over to me. And, uh, you know, kind of a little, little shocked here, to say the least, uh, just because you know kind of my, my feelings about a Trey Young and, and my thoughts about that. Uh, not the biggest Trey Young fan by any means, but – after you going over some of those pros and cons, I, I do see how he could really fit into uh, the swing of things here at the Pelicans. Like you said, I'm someone who uh, believes that you cannot, you know, win championships with a small backcourt, uh, small guards. Uh, we've kind of seen that with many different teams. It has nothing to do with their talent level. It just seems like it just doesn't end up working out. Uh, defensively, they can maybe get picked on a little bit. And that might, might be another con for me as well, like you said. Uh, but I, I think where you're losing the size at that guard position, you are gaining that on the back end. You, you have a long, you know, two-man, Herb Jones, who's a 6'7 guy who has long arms. You know, Brandon Ingram, 6'9, he's long. Uh, Trey Murphy, 6'10, he's long. And then you got Jonas Valanciunas in the back there who can, you know, make up for some of that lack of size that Trey will be having. And, you know, at the end of the day, like you said, I think he's only going to bring 
this team, you know, late game stretches, I think, which is a, is a big uh, thing right now for this team, having that extension of a coach on the floor. And in the past couple of years, we haven't had a point guard, a true point guard who's, okay, this is my job. This is what I need to do. I know how to get people the ball when they need to get the ball in this situation, time score. He's going to know all those things. And I think those are huge pluses. And as well, to go along with that, I think, you know, Trey solidifying himself as that number two guy uh, will will really help his game because, yeah, maybe he might not score as many points, but he will be distributing. And he's playing with an ultra-talented guy like Brandon Ingram, who I think when you give the keys to and have a guy of Trey Young's stature who can kind of manage it and get him easier looks – at that point, we always say it. Brandon's a you know top five wing in this league. I believe it. Uh, he's a great shot creator and shot maker. And you know having Trey on this team will only make it easier for him in the end. Uh, but the biggest thing is just him being able to get into the paint, throw lobs, be a threat in there because he has a floater. Uh, we don't necessarily have somebody right now currently who can just get to a certain spot and then get up and down in the floor. Uh, with that. So uh, to say the least, I was shocked when you mentioned Trey Young, but I do see now after you bring in all those points together that he would be a huge addition to this team. And uh, it would sure be exciting if, if that actually happened. Well, happy to hear that you don't despise it. I, I know certainly based on our experience together, he hasn't been somebody that um, has been one of your favorite guys in the league. But I think a lot of that comes down to even for Zion and Atlanta, a lot of it is fit and current role. And I think a lot of that drives this. I mean, when, if we're referring back to that list of things that we feel like you need to have, I think it goes twofold. Trey coming in only adds and expands the areas you already are strong offensively, as well as unlocks new layers. Like you said, he's going to be a guy that runs the pick and roll way more effectively than anybody we currently have. He's going to get easier shots for everybody else. He's going to dictate and push pace, which you've said numerous times makes his team a lot more effective. He's going to be a guy that, you know, he is able to find himself and get himself to the free throw line 10, 12 times a game, which although is annoying when you're playing against a guy that does it, whenever your team's getting an additional 10, 12 free throws a night because he can draw fouls and he's going to make them in an 85, 90% clip, that is a huge weapon for your team. Um, and then retrospectively, we already have the things in place that can cover up for the things that have at times, you know, caused his teams to have earlier exits or, or would, you know, cause some of the conversations about, you know, is Trey enough to get this done? So in all totality, I think it really is almost a perfect marriage between the two because, you know, we can fully maximize everything that Trey brings to the table, but at the same time, we can offer him the support that he hasn't had and potentially, um, you know, really helps him round into a, a more effective and efficient player. So, um, certainly happy to hear that. Um, and then finally, you know, if the Pelicans were to make a move like this, and this would be, again, put me on the spot. If I had the keys to this, this would be the similar path that I would take. This is what I think, um, gets you to that, um, end goal as effectively as possible. Um, I think you'd have to understand that then there'd be some other shakeups, um, you know, with this team. Obviously, if you're bringing a guy like Trey Young in here, who we said is a little bit smaller, you still planned on playing a guy like Herb Jones next to him. At that point, I think it starts to make a guy like, you know, CJ McCollum expendable. Although CJ is a great player, he has been pivotal for the growth of this team. 
I think it's safe to say that that Trey would be an upgrade in the backcourt. Um, and then also to keep in mind, you would be moving a lot of assets to acquire a guy like Trey Young. So I personally see the Trey Young deal as he is the centerpiece. That is the one thing that we are desperately trying to make happen because of the, the fit that he he possesses. And then I would use this next trade to to really recoup some of that. Even if I have to overspend for a guy like Trey Young, I think he's that important for it. This deal then allows me to start getting back some of those assets and, and start um, – you know, ensuring that our assets and, and our young players are, are not depleted. So, um, you know, for that, I was looking around for a team that, um, you know, was maybe middle of the pack or a young team that, that CJ could um, fulfill that role that he's played with us, where he could be a veteran and, and be a guy that um, can really bring along a lot of young players, but at the same time still provides tremendous value on the basketball floor and is impactful. Um, and when I was looking around the league, um, pretty quickly I found my, my ideal candidate, right? Um, you have a team in the Orlando Magic. Uh, the Orlando Magic have been rebuilding for, it seems like, the last decade, decade and a half with, with very little success. Um, you know, at this point, it seems like they have hit on their two main um, cornerstones in a guy like Paolo Banchero and Franz Wag or Wagner. Um, at this point, they're currently sitting in the top five of the Eastern Conference, which I think to, to many would be ahead of schedule. Um, and, you know, at this point, probably a little bit surprising. So for me, they seem like a perfect candidate for a team that could potentially be looking to bring in not only some veterans to continue mentoring those players and rounding them into true form and helping them become the best version of themselves. But I think they probably see this as an opportunity to, to make some progress and, and to cross off a big milestone um, in terms of getting into the playoffs and continuing to grow and continuing to you know, take that next step. And, and I see CJ being a, a great fit in terms of doing that. And, and I've even looped in a guy like, like Larry Nance, right? Two vets that have come to New Orleans, offered the same level of leadership and, and mentorship, but also at the same time can be very impactful and can help a team um, certainly win. In terms of Orlando, right? I, I think there would be at least a conversation around others would be, well, is it the time to go in and go get another guy? Is it time to add the, another additional um, you know, ball handler and, and guy that needs the ball to this um, to this group, right? We, we, we want to make sure we're not going too fast or, or blowing through our assets. And although I think it's a very fair point, I, I don't think the asking price would be too heavy um, for a guy or two guys of that stature. And I also think in the event that it didn't work or it, his skill set is no longer needed, I very easily see CJ and Larry as guys that they could then – you know, fit, you know, flip to other contenders and then they can regain assets and it wouldn't be them pushing all their chips to the table. Um, so for me, I, I targeted Orlando and I had sent them CJ and Larry Nance. Um, and in return, I was looking for number one, I wanted to find myself with maintaining Jonas Valanciunas as a center of this team, although is a very strong offensive player and, you know, a good rebounder. He certainly has his deficiencies athletically and defensively. Um, so I wanted to target a guy like Jonathan Isaac. Um, Isaac's uh, roughly 6'11", very long, very athletic, um, currently is not starting for Orlando due to the, um, you know, growth and, and rapid ascent of those two forwards there in Orlando. Um, I think Isaac would be a fantastic piece that would allow New Orleans to have a little bit of both. They would have that physical offensive force in JV that they can slow it down when they do need an interior bucket, but at the same time at the end of games um, against certain matchups, they could go 
very athletic, very long, very versatile, which we had talked about the importance, especially as you get later in the year. Um, following that, I had targeted either Gary Harris or Joe Ingles um, as kind of that veteran um, wing or two guard that could offer a little bit of shooting support um, as you're losing a guy like CJ, although you do would have Trey coming in in this instance. And then um, I would want to recoup at least one form of a of a young asset, whether that be Jalen Suggs, who's a guy that could really help this team um, off the bench and is still obviously a young player on his rookie deal or a first-round pick. Um, in totality, obviously, it would be a, a lot of moving parts, but I think there are a lot of moving parts that fit together, right? It's, it's not just throwing a bunch of stuff and seeing it to the fit. You would only be doing the second deal only because you were able to pull off a deal such as bringing in a guy like Trey Young, which to me... I think seems super feasible. Uh, I don't think it's unrealistic. I don't think that you would be, as one saying, you know, ripping off the Atlanta Hawks. I think it's a good deal for both teams. Um, and then ultimately you would segue into making a deal um, like this with the Orlando Magic. So, you know, in totality, you would see a guy like Zion Williamson, CJ McCollum, Larry Nance, Kyra Lewis, and then either a Najee Marshall or Dyson Daniels exiting New Orleans. Um, but, you know, in return, you would have a very versatile um team that presents a lot of shooting that can play with pace they have that versatility they have that length um they still have an abundance of shot creators and shot makers and even at a level i would say they probably have more shot creators and shot makers um and ultimately you'd have a rotation looking at you know trey young herb jones brandon ingham trey murphy and jv tons of versati versatility length um and the ability to shoot the ball in that starting five um, but also still retaining a lot of you know, depth and, and quality players on the back end when looking at a Jonathan Isaac and then either a Dyson, Jalen Suggs, Najee Marshall, and then rounding it out with, with additional shooting and defending with Jordan Hawkins, Jose Alvarado, and a guy like Matt Ryan. Yeah, I mean, that, a lot of moving parts, like you said, but in totality, uh, if you're making that big swing push to uh, have Zion leave this team, you know, there is going to be, you know, multiple moving parts, I believe. And I think at the end of the day, uh, as you've currently made these couple of deals, you have, you know, enhanced all of the good that's on the team while giving it a couple good looks as well. Uh, giving JV a much needed, you know, backup who has length, size, versatility, who can move, does the things that he doesn't necessarily do good, um, you know, on the basketball floor. You know, it, it would be definitely exciting. Uh, like I said, I think this team looks the best when they're getting out and going, playing with pace, shooting a lot of threes, which then leads into their defense, you know, defense into offense. And it would be a really exciting team that, you know, ultimately is just trying to score a bunch of points. But then at times, like we said, in those critical minutes of the game, they can go on stretches when they need those stops to get those stops late in the games. Yep. Perfectly said. Um, you know, with that, obviously, all of this is is a big what if. A lot of internal decisions need to be made. Um, you know, we invite you guys to go ahead and, and do the same thing. Start thinking through these potential um, changes that could be could, how or what could be coming down the pipeline. And, and you know, if you were in the position, what would you do? What do you think is the best fit for this team, and how could you affect this organization and put them on the right path to winning games and hopefully, ultimately, winning a championship? Um, you know, with that, I, I think this has been an awesome night. I'm, I'm happy we've been able to talk through a lot of this. Um, you know, as we started this show, this is a pivotal part of the year. It's, it feels like we're really um, hitting the start of this year. And this is where games really start to matter. And we start to see teams start 
uh, propelling themselves into being true contenders and separating themselves from the pack. So I think certainly as a Pels fan and as a, uh, a fan of the NBA in general, right, this is going to be an exciting couple of weeks, um, you know, leading here with the new year approaching very quickly um, and a lot of opportunities for the Pelicans to um, continue improving and, and hopefully ultimately ending up where we think this team should and, and being a, a lock for the playoffs and, and really um, depending on the matchup, right, and then if things are going well and you're healthy, give your chance to yourself a chance to win a couple rounds and you never know where you might end up. So um, with that, Tony, it's been awesome. I've enjoyed it. Um, this has been the Holy Hardwood Podcast with Pat and Tony. <laughs>